for your presence, for your goodness. Thank you for your light shining, even in dark days. Thank you that you let us feel your presence. That give us a taste to draw us on to the glory we'll know very soon with you face to face. Lord, would you keep coming? Keep touching us, Lord. Draw us along the road on this pilgrimage toward you. Amen. So this is part three in a series. I think it's part three of three. Um, the In a uh, servant leader, um, priesthood of all believers series. So our, one of our core values is to ready the body of believers in this region as servant leaders who are equipped and trained in the priesthood of all believers. And uh, I kind of focused on the priesthood of all believers the last two times. The first time was really about how if we are to be priests in his house, that means there's something to engage with and do. That priests are not there as customers, consumers of a service. They're there as ministers before the Lord and to each other um, in the house of the Lord. And then the second message was really that as priests, that means that there are um, consequences of what we do in the Lord's house, both to good and to ill, depending on how we choose to walk out our priesthood before him in the house, that uh, we can open the way for others, and we can also stand in the way of others as priests. So um, this third one, we're going to focus on the servant leadership aspect. And uh, just as a reminder, if you are in the body of Christ, you are a leader. You have authority given to you from Jesus um, over various areas. Um, I believe I, I read it out in one of the previous messages about his parable of giving the talents and then that setting up for authority over entire cities um, in the age to come. So this is not, nobody can be like, okay, yeah, I'm a priest, but I'm not a leader. It doesn't work that way. They're, they are synonymous. Um, so let's go to Mark 10, starting in verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask, which is so amazing. Like, you know, you know, whenever somebody comes to you, especially your, like your kids, you know, they come and they're like, I want something, but I want you to say yes before I tell you what it is that, you know, there's, they're in dangerous territory already to approach the Lord of all. <laughs> Jesus and go, we want something, but we're not going to tell you what it is until you say yes. Um, 
definitely not a spirit of humility that they were in. Uh, And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said, we're able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink, and with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those to whom it is prepared. And lovely, he answers them with the exact opposite spirit, like right there. It's like, I don't have the authority to make these decisions because I am under authority of my father. And when the ten heard it, they began to greatly displeased with James and John. So the spirit jumps, you know, this, uh, this ambition of these two has now infected the entire 12 because they're like, wait a minute, they're trying to muscle in here in some kind of position above us. So, and we're not going to stand for that. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to be great among you shall be your servant. That word is deacon. Same word we get deacon from. It's actually, it can be translated a waiter. The person who stands by the table, puts the food on, comes and brings you something else if you need it, defers to you being fed before they are. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. That word is doulos which means owned by somebody else. Uh, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So the question is, as a servant of all and a slave of all, does that mean that we have a bunch of masters? Everybody is our master. No, it doesn't. Um, We know Jesus walked out. He said, I've got one person that I am responding to. Everything I'm doing, I see the Father doing first. I hear the Father commanding. So we have one master, even though we're servants to all. Uh, Let's go to Matthew 6. The Lord was um, kept saying to me, I think mostly in morning prayer, a few months ago, might be a little bit more than that now. Um, I kept hearing him say, I run a well-ordered house over and over again. It kept coming up and I kept going. It's just such a weird thing, you know, like to think of the Lord running a well-ordered house. Um, you know, and we look around at the world at what looks to be his house and it looks pretty not well-ordered. But he says, I am the master of a house that I run well. And uh, the word, when we see dispensation, which only shows up, like I think, twice in all of Scripture, but that word dispensation, which has become kind of a Christianese word, um, actually means a household economy. So when he talks about the dispensation of grace, he's talking about, I am running my household 
through this system of grace, of my empowerment. Um, there is a lot to the kingdom that is a household filled with servants. And we've got several different parables um, where he does break down the kingdom of heaven as a house full of servants doing the business of a household. Matthew 6, uh, 22. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. So only one. Uh, trying to serve two masters or more masters is a recipe for exhaustion and not serving any of them well, right? Um, For either he will hate one, love the other, or else he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to a stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. As servants, what return are we looking for? Where are we looking for our payment for our service? That tells us who the master we're serving is. And that's why I say when, we, when the Lord commands us, when he says, if you're going to be the leader, if you're going to be the greatest in the kingdom, you're going to be a servant to all, we don't have all as our masters. Because if we're looking for rewards from those we're serving, they're our masters, but we need to be looking for a reward from him and him alone. And this is how he runs his house, is with a full complement of servants who are all receiving from his hand and doing his will, serving the other servants because he commands it, not because the other servants command it, not because we think, this is the best thing I could do for this other person in our own hearts, but because we're serving the one master of the house. And he's made sure that everybody gets what they need throughout the house. And sometimes it comes through other servants but it comes from him through those other servants. Tom's word last week was so good about, uh, about listening and uh, doing only what the Lord is saying. Um, and I was sitting there going, oh man, this is like basically what I'm talking about next week. But, um, but consider this of honing in on a specific aspect of what that is, what that looks like. Because I think this is one of the, um, one of the easy traps to fall into in a nice church full of wonderful, nice people who were raised well um, to care for people 
is to start not serving the Lord, but looking for all the ways that our heart says, this would be service. Or when people come to us and say, this is what I want and need, going, okay, and giving it, and stepping right out of the service that is serving our king. So a quick way to know is when we start to feel the bitterness set in, when we're doing acts of service that we are convinced are love and we don't get any kind of um, gratitude from it. It doesn't seem to actually have an effect where you're pouring in service and it doesn't change anything. There's a sign there that we're looking for something back that's not the reward of our Father. It's a wonderful thing to serve our enemies, but if our hope is that that will turn our enemies into our friends, we're missing the point. We're giving up a better reward. Now, we very much hope that turns them to the Lord, but that's a different thing than them turning into our friends because we've been so nice to them. They saw the error of their ways and come and repent and be nice to us now. Or even that we're hoping um, that people will see the light and sort of become convinced of truth is a different thing than serving somebody, knowing that it is the Lord's goodness flowing through us and that um, he's ministering to them. Matthew 10, starting in verse 40. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. There is a beautiful reward that the Lord pours out through his house. Um, He has set up a house where everybody receives what they need and receives payment, so to speak, for their service um, without it needing to be extracted from each other. Even like the things that we honor and receive in each other. I mean, what a wonderful thing for him to say. You know, if you take and, and, and listen to revelation that someone's been given and you receive it into your heart and you talk to me about it, that you get a reward like unto the reward of the person who released it, like the person who was bold enough to like give it out, receiving it and honoring it. I'll reward you for that, too. It, it seems unfair, and yet it's the, our generous God who gives the late worker the same pay as the early worker. And he talks about giving this cup of cold water in the name of a disciple in another parallel 
gospel. It says, in my name, you give this cup of water to one of these little ones. It's like you gave it to me. There is the proper authority there. You're doing it in and the name of a disciple. As my servant, you're giving it to these little ones. You're giving it unto me. In my name, in my character, under my authority, you're giving Let's go to Matthew 24. We're just taking leapfrogs through Matthew today. Speaking of one of the parables that he used to talk about the kingdom, who then is, uh, 2445, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give him food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him and at an hour that he's not aware of and will cut him into and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this evil servant started off being appointed as a servant by his master. It's not like he's an enemy of the house. At some point, he was worthy of being entrusted to be a servant in the house. But over time, how does he get to the place where he's beating his fellow servants? There's a break in the authority structure. He's like, the master's away. The time is taking a long time And he slips right out underneath that. I'm no longer serving the master. I am now running this household as the servant. I'm no longer under an authority because he's kind of gone. Who knows when he'll be back? And it breaks that focus of I am representing somebody. I'm serving the rest of the servants of this house as a representative of my master, not as head servant of this house. And then he begins exercising authority destructively over them. He ends up filling his belly again. He's rewarding himself. Whereas if the master's at home, he knows. My, my job is to set the table for the master and any other servants that uh, it's my job to do. But the master's gone. So maybe this food is now for me. Uh, Matthew 23. Bouncing backwards. Which is all to say, um, you know, when, when we read the verse about that the leaders are going to be servants of all, those who are greatest will be slaves to everyone. The most natural thing in the world is to start thinking about what it means to serve everybody. To be like, okay, I'm going to go last every single time. I'm going to take the least. I'm going to let everybody else have their way. I'll just give in to everything. Um, You know, I'll jump in and take care of all the things that nobody else wants to do. Which is not the same thing as going, Lord, how can I best serve right now? Lord, what do you want me to do? What are my instructions for my portion of how the house is run today? Matthew 
Matthew 23, 2. The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you, observe that, that observe and do. But do not do according to the works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of the garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ." but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. So there is a place um, where leaders can get where they actually burden the people that they're leading, thinking they're serving them. The rabbinical system took the law of God and was like, we're going to have to figure this out. How do you actually do these things? And they would take a simple, straightforward line and over centuries keep interpreting it and interpreting it and adding and adding and adding ways to make sure that you're observing it. And this comes out of a natural intention to help people. To say, you know, like, well, how do I do that? Well, here's how you do that, and here's how you don't do that. And let's give people instruction on how to make sure they set borders around God's borders. He said, don't go out of these lines. And they're like, okay, we'll add this line and this line, and then we'll make sure nobody goes outside that line if we add these. And over time, out of an intent to help created such a burden, such a weight on the Jews of things that needed to be observed that the Lord never commanded. And I bring this up because it's, it is possible feeling like we're loving people to death to actually heap a whole weight upon them in the process, instead of giving them an avenue into freedom. Uh, Mark 2. Now, listening to the Lord, there's going to be lots of times where he's like, take the least. Let all the other people go first. Do the thing nobody else wants to do. There's going to be a lot of that. So all of those things are good, necessary, loving things in the house when flowing out from his love. Just wanted to. And clarify that, that I'm not denigrating any of these things because they often are the manifestations of his love and his leadership. And that's the problem. 
That's the problem. We can't weigh on our natural hearts any of these things. We can't sit there and go, oh, you know what? Sister is just, you know, she's doing a lot of serving, so she's clearly in some kind of, like, legalistic thing, you know? Brothers, you know, just not doing anything, and so, you know, really, he doesn't have that servant heart. The Lord knows, and every servant answers to his master alone, not the other servants. Sometimes the master sends a servant to say, hey, (laughs) you haven't been hearing me, and so I'm going to give them something to correct you on. But we always have to check with the master. Lord, what are you saying about this? Mark 2, 23. Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. Now this is against, so they're not allowed to work on the Sabbath, and the scholars have laid out what exactly work means to exhausting detail. There is an entire um, order of bread where they have broken down every single step that's required to get to a loaf of bread and taken those steps and expanded them out. So, you know, it must be work to make bread. So every little step along the way then becomes a... You can't do this. And then we look for every single way that that might be met. Um, And this is simple. They are threshing grain. By plucking grain off of a stalk, it's legally falling under threshing grain. And we're going to set that border. If you extract anything that you want from something you don't want, we're going to call that threshing, which must be work, so that's a violation of the Sabbath. Speaking of a heavy burden laid. And the Pharisee said to him, Look, why do they do what's not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to them who were with him? And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether they would heal him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. It's possible for us to bind people to ourselves with our service. Um, I knew a mother and daughter, adult daughter, probably in her 30s, who would do nothing but what her mother sort of said and allowed. She she lived like right next to her mom. And her mom was 
so devoted to her daughter that she had bound these cords that could not be broken around her daughter so her daughter could do nothing without her mom. And I know her mom saw herself as serving her daughter, as laying down her life to protect and guide her daughter. And there's a place where we can do that with our serving that's not the Lord's intent for what service means, what it means to be a service leader. We can look to our Lord. Um, Jesus didn't make the way easy and smooth for anyone. He said in Matthew 7, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. I think all of us who have raised kids know there are are points in our life where we are so used to taking care of them that it is so hard to step back and go, okay, you know, this is the next step of your development and you need to start making some of these choices and you need to start failing some and you need to start not understanding something and figuring it out yourself and, and I'll help you a little. Um, but I'm going to help you a little bit more after you fail than before. And I'm going to start shifting that so that you can grow into what you're meant to be and not stay where you are forever. And I say this as a um, parable for even how we treat each other in the house and how we treat the world. In Matthew 13, 10, the disciples came and said to Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said, because it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he'll have abundance. And whoever does not have, even that he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hear and you will not hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of these people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So was Jesus like, okay, I've got these 12. I've got a few more who show up to everything I say. And i got the others, and I'm just not interested in them getting saved. Right? He desired all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. But the disciples had a test that they passed and they laid down everything and followed him and he spelled things out for them. But there were a group of people that needed an obstacle. They needed to be offended by this is my blood and this is my body and you're going to have to eat it and drink it. They needed that chance to be like, 
I'm out of here. Or, okay, that's really weird, but you're the only one who's speaking truth. And spelling it out for them would not have been a path into eternal life, but a path into something else. And we can earnestly desire that all be saved with him. But if we're not listening to the Lord who sees into hearts and knows what it means to serve each individual person, then we can serve them right out of the kingdom thinking we're serving them in. washing machine is beautifully manifest in the antiphonal prayer and singing that we do. And um, we talk about that there, you know, there's authority. There's the authority of the worship leader, the rest of the worship team. There's the authority of the prayer leader. There's authority of anyone who's been giving something to pray out all measures of authority that the Lord gives by his spirit. And I think we, we think, okay, servant, right? We're going we're gonna to defer to the authorities, which is good. Um, we're going to struggle with our, abil- our, our need to get up there and take control, to get up there and pray something, to fix the prayer from before that was a little weird, or, you know, to sing out, to, to end a prayer that's going too long. We're going to struggle with all of these, like, need to, to control and be on top. But there's a struggle on the complete other end, which is in this antiphony back and forth, stepping back so much. I don't want to, like, I don't want to challenge that authority. I don't want to make anybody have to exercise authority over me. So I'm going to be so deferred, so meek in what I have to give that, you know, at the drop of a hat, I'll just be like, well, I guess the Lord didn't tell me that, or I guess that's for another time, that there, there's this wonderful antiphony in here. When, when any of us comes up here, we're wrestling with, the Lord told me to say something. I've got something to say. Is this the right time to say it? And then whoever's up here leading is wrestling out with the Lord. Is it time to say, okay, go ahead and step forward, or do we need to stick with what we're singing for a little bit longer? Do we need to give the congregation a little bit longer to worship? So the temptation is to take the pressure off each other. The temptation is if I'm up here singing and someone's up there, oop, I better get them on this quickly so that they're not um, struggling, so that they don't think I've shut them down, so that you know, I'm going to serve them by getting them on the mic as fast as possible. And our temptation coming up here is, I'm going to come up here, but I'm going to come up here with the big glowing sign that says, don't worry about it. I don't really need to pray this out if you really don't want me to. Because I'm going to make it easier on the person up here. But we're actually stealing each other's struggle doing that. We're serving each other into something easier than the washing machine, which we need. We need the agitation of the Lord's been giving me something to say, and I'm going to say it. Now, there are times where I've experienced, I've come up here, the Lord said, say something. He's given me a word to say. I've come up here and stood, and I've stood for an uncomfortably long time, 
And then he said, okay, it's good. Time's passed. Go back. But for the most part, we should be standing there for the uncomfortably long time until the worship leaders, like, now's the time. We should be worship leading in the uncomfortable place of, oh, I know they've been standing there for a while, but the Lord says not quite yet. I know there's something happening out here in worship that needs to go just a little bit longer. It's, it feels, doesn't feel good, but okay, now's the time. I want to say um, thank you all, because you all are very servant-hearted, and there is a lot of service in love from the Father that happens in here. So um, I don't want to share this as if we're all running around in some kind of wild fleshly service, because I, I don't believe that at all. I think the Lord talks to us all a lot about where we can serve. Um, but I do think he's got something even better. I think he's been repeatedly talking to us over the last season about listening and doing what he says to do. Um, and I think he's going to lead us into something even more miraculous. So uh, I'm going to close up with Philippians 2. And response team could can come up if they're here. Philippians 2, 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So in the end, it's really not about a set of like, these are the behaviors of a servant. This is the formula. These are the... Um, this is what we know servanthood looks like. It's really about a heart of love and service, of being in obedience to the Father and letting that spill out into a serving of each other. You know, when, when Martha was like, I'm serving like crazy and Mary's not serving. Was that true? Mary was serving. She was serving first the Lord, but she was serving a lot more than the Lord. She was serving as a witness to everyone that was gathered there, to her sister. She served us almost 2,000 years later in the act she was doing. She gave us a testimony and a witness to look to because of a heart, not because of a, oh, I know this is the right way to be a leader and you know this is the way I get the high position is by going low. And it all is in the cross. You know, if Jesus had been master, or had been mastered, had been a servant in the sense of having 
all the people he served as masters, they would have said, come kick the Romans out, be a king. And he was like, the father's telling me the service you need is the cross. That's what you need right now. And I'm going to serve you how he says to serve you, not how you want. So, Lord, um, we do ask, we ask for that heart of service. What a glorious thing, Jesus, that you, Lord of all, you who were there at the beginning, through whom all things were made and for whom all things were made, humbled yourself and became a servant to us. Lord, we want that heart worked in us. We want to see your well-ordered house manifest here at Lighthop and in this city. We want to see what's even better than a bunch of good people as a bunch of submitted people doing what we see you doing. Would you take us there, Lord? Take me there. And take us there joyfully, Lord.